feel that because we've failed, because we've maybe dropped out for a while, because we have made mistakes, we feel that uh, God, God must have forgotten about me. God is angry at me. God is... God is too, too upset with me to take me back. My friends, I want to talk to you this morning some more about God's grace. During this uh, Easter season, and uh, this morning I was calling it the Christmas season. got that mixed up a bit, so you'll forgive me for that. But it is the Easter season. During this Easter season, I want to talk to you about God's grace, and it's a hard thing to explain. It's a hard thing to get our heads around. And I'm going to tell you, I've said this last week, there are literally hundreds of thousands of pages and books written on the subject of God's grace, trying to explain the mystery and the wonder of it all. What is God's grace? Someone gave a simple definition. It's, un, it's God's uh, unmerited favor. In other words, God loves you uh, not because you deserve it, but just because of who he is. So rather than try to get in, to give you a lecture and try to get into a, a you know, sort of a theological um, uh, debate or discussion this morning, rather than give you a lecture, I want to just give you some examples of God's grace. And some of you may recognize the, the title, my message this morning, Amazing Grace, is the title of a hymn. Anybody know that hymn? Hello? You've heard of it? Yeah. Good, good because make sure you've heard of that. And, uh, yeah, you know that that is probably, well, if, in fact, I Googled it, and they say it's the, it's the, um, the best-known hymn of the English-speaking world. Everybody knows the words, or at least the tune, of Amazing Grace. This, uh, this hymn was written over 230 years ago by John Newton. And John Newton... Before he wrote it, before he was converted, before he gave his life to Christ, was in fact um, a slave trader, and he uh, he found himself becoming very hard-hearted and, in his words, very profane. In fact, people described him as the most profane man that they'd ever met or ever known. And he said later that the reason for his profanity, the reason for the, this, this vileness of character was the fact that he uh, was so deeply, deeply affected by the horrors of that slave trade. It was the only way that he could deal with it. And finally, after, after going through a, a number of, of very extreme circumstances, he finally came to the place where he gave his heart to Christ, and he asked God for forgiveness. Now, the problem is, and this, maybe this is something that you can relate to today, after he gave his heart to Christ, after he was converted, guess what happened? He still had these haunting memories, this, this horrible, agonizing guilt. He would, he would recall the things that he saw on those slave ships, the way that these poor people were, were treated and, uh, and demoralized and degraded and, and tormented. And uh, he would fall on his face before God and ask God to please take away those images. Please, God, erase that from his mind. But rather than that happening, what happened is that God 
revealed himself to John Newton, revealed himself as a God full of amazing grace, grace that would forgive a wretch like him. I want to talk to you about that today because the fact of the matter is it is not one person in this room today who does not need God's grace. In fact, I would say this to you, that the more mature you are spiritually, the closer you are to God, the more you know God, the more you will recognize and understand how desperately you need God's grace. I want to talk to you more about what grace is in just a minute, but let me just say this. Grace is God's amazing love, amazing mercy. It's his amazing power and strength. When you have God's grace, my friend, listen to me, you have everything that you need. I'm going to look at the life of the Apostle Peter. Has anybody heard of the Apostle Peter, one of the twelve? He's considered by some to be the greatest apostle. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church would say that Peter was, in fact, the founder of their church. And that's why it's called St. Peter's Basilica. You know what I'm talking about. He was called the first pope. So he was a great man indeed. Great, great man used by God. Now, I want to tell you something. Peter was a man desperately in need of God's grace. Peter was a failure. How many know today that just because you become a Christian, that doesn't mean you don't need God's grace anymore? Just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't mean that somehow you sort of arrived. And a lot of people think that. I gave my heart to Jesus. I said the sinner's prayer. I came forward for prayer. And now everything's going to be just fine. Let me tell you something. You don't understand what it means to be a Christian unless you understand how much you need God's grace on a continuing basis, day by day, moment by moment. And so let's start with Peter's journey towards grace. And the very first thing that we recognize on this journey towards grace is that it always begins with our own sense of self-confidence. Can I just tell you this? Self-confidence is way overrated. You go to any bookstore, you're going to find whole sections on how to be a better you and how to be more self-confident and how to be more self-assertive. I'm going to tell you today right now, self-confidence is just another way to say that you are ignorant of your need of God's grace in your life. Now, just go back with me 2,000 years ago. Jesus has met with his disciples And uh, several times he's told them that he is on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to be arrested. He is going to be mocked and he will be whipped and he will be crucified and that he was going to be going to his death. Now Peter looks at Jesus. What are you talking about, man? You heal sick people. You raise the dead. You feed the multitudes. Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. Peter, self-confident, thinks he has the whole thing figured out. How many of us are like that? 
How many of us have been like that? Especially when we're young. We think we got the whole thing figured out. We know what's what. Nobody's going to tell us. Nobody needs to tell us because we, we, know, we know better than anybody. That was Peter. Jesus tells him again, I'm, I'm going to be going to the cross. And Jesus says, look, or Peter says, look, Jesus. <laughs> that may happen, but I want you to know, I'm going to be with you right through thick and thin. I, if you go to prison, I go to prison. If you get whipped, I get whipped. If you get crucified, I get crucified. But look at what Jesus says. But he replied, this is Peter speaking, he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death because I'm Peter. I'm wonderful. I am marvelous. There's nothing that I can't do. And look at what Jesus says. He, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Wow, what a two by four to the head. Peter's trying to tell Jesus, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I can, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to, actually. Peter, you're full of self-confidence. You don't understand your need of my grace. You don't understand how much you need my power at work in your life. Peter believes he can go all the way with Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something right now. Self-confidence is like that. You think you can stand on your own two feet, but I'm going to tell you something today. You can't. You need God's help. I need God's help. How many here today need God's help? Yes. And there's a few that don't, obviously. And that one that didn't put up their hand, would you come and take the mic, please? And you're the one that should be preaching. I'm going to tell you what self-confidence is. Self-confidence relates to self-assuredness and one's ability. You're so sure of your ability. You're so sure of your power. So, so sure of your strength. So sure of your personal judgment. You're brilliant. I'm going to tell you something. You know, you're laughing at this. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're all like that. Every one of us. We have that tendency to think, you know, I got it all together. I can manage. I don't need anybody's help. I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to be a Christian in my own strength. The fact is, is you're going to fall flat in your face. We're all the same. We need God's grace. We need God's help. Self-confidence is the belief of believing in yourself. To believe that one is able to accomplish what one sets out to do. To overcome obstacles and challenges. You can do it. No, you can't. Pastor, I heard on the, on the, on the TV this morning, the, the TV preacher told me that I could do it. And you're telling me I can't. Listen, what I'm telling you is that you need God's grace and help in your life because you can't make it on your own. Listen to me. This is the message, the ancient message, 2,000-year-old message. We need God's grace and strength in our life. And Peter discovered the hard way that having self-confidence just isn't enough to make it in this world. You can screw up your courage. You can, make your, you can believe in yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and say, Alan, you are wonderful. Or use your name. Alan, <laughs> you are wonderful. You are brilliant. You're so good looking. You, <laughs> you got it all together. You know what? This is, this is the world's way of, of trying, trying to somehow find inner strength. But it always comes up bankrupt. This is the good news of the gospel, my friends. Is that what you are not powerful to do, God is powerful to do. I want to tell you 
Oh, you know what? I'm going to tell, I just say this. I'm so glad the youth are in Camp Arnas right now so I can say this. But have you ever noticed how very, very self-confident most youth are? They just know everything. Isn't that true? Now, there's a few here today. Just plug your ears, okay? <laughs> ben, would you do that? Because you, you're, you're obviously, you're not like this. <laughs> but everybody else. You're just, you just know everything. You're, you know more than your parents. Your parents are just stupid. They don't know anything. I, I thought my parents were the stupidest people around until I, until I got into my late 20s. And I thought, well, they're, maybe they're smarter than I thought. I'd be a little bit smarter. I, I remember in Bible school, uh, I, I, had a, I had some pretty good speaking ability. I, I, uh, I, I could preach a fairly good sermon, and I didn't have to prepare a whole lot. And uh, they, I, my job uh, in Bible school was one of our, for one of our credits was to, to do some ministry outside of the school. And so one of the things I had to do is go and preach at, uh, at the Salvation Army. And you know how that works. Does everybody know how that works? So here's the, here's the deal. These guys are hungry. They, they can get something to eat, but first what they have to do is listen, listen to uh, somebody preach a sermon. So just think of the arrangement here. These guys who are hungry have to listen to a Bible college student in his first year preach a sermon to them. And I'm thinking to myself, how hard can it be? These guys are down and out. They're struggling. Uh, They're hungry. Uh, I don't even know if they'll even be able to understand what I'm saying. I'm just going to get up there and preach a simple message, a simple salvation message, right? I can tell you, every single time I think about this moment, I could crawl right under the carpet. I don't care if the carpet is stuck to the ground. <laughs> I could crawl under it. I am, I am there preaching a sermon, and I say the very first thing I said, none of you knows what happens when you leave this place tonight. Any one of you could leave here tonight and be hit by a car, and before I could go any further, someone yelled from the back, or slip on a banana peel, the first time I'd ever been heckled. Never been heckled since. <laughs> now suddenly, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I was quite taken aback. I, I didn't know what to say. And somehow I, I, was, able to, <laughs> I was able to struggle through. And, and uh, I discovered these people are actually very smart people. There's, they're just as smart or probably smarter than me. They had life experience under their belt. But they were, as you say, down on their luck. God hit me in the head with a two-by-four. He made me recognize just how arrogant and self-confident and conceited I really was. To really suppose or believe that I could just go up and preach a sermon in my own strength and power. I discovered at that moment how much I needed God's grace in my life. And I can tell you, from that day on, I never, ever presume to stand in front of anybody and preach anything without first hearing from God and know that I had the grace of God at work in my life. I still, still feel my knees knock a little bit. And I'm going to tell you, that was, that was 30 years ago. I'm going to tell you this. The Apostle Paul understood also that being self-confident, being confident in your ability, just does not cut it in this life. And that's why he says in Philippians 3.3, 3, the real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at his ministry, filling the air with Christ's praises as we do it. And this is what Paul says, we couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it. I like that. 
The Apostle Paul understands that, that there can be no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in your ability. What you need to do is learn how to have confidence in the power of God. This, my friends, is what Paul calls being a real believer. And so this, today, if you want, how many want to be a real believer? How many really want to follow Christ and really want to know the power of God at work in your life? Then you've got to learn what it means. To stop relying upon yourself, your own talents, your own wisdom, your own skills. It was a wonderful thing last week to have people here at the altar who came here and said, I need God's grace in my life. We didn't get out of here till quarter after one. Thrilling. I'll tell you, this has got to be the way that you live from day to day. So Paul, or so Peter, full of self-confidence. I'm going to go to prison with you, Jesus. I'm brilliant. I'm powerful. So we read on. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Do you remember what happens? Jesus is with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come to take him away. Peter pulls out a sword, whacks off a guy's ear. So he... (laughs) So the very man whose ear Peter had cut off recognizes Peter. It says, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And then for the third time, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now remember, Jesus says, Peter, I tell you, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter experiences the biggest blow of his life. He falls flat on his face. He has let God down. He has let his beloved Savior down. He has let Jesus down. Wow. Peter deserts Christ when Christ is arrested. Peter trying to be brave. And here's the thing, my friends. You try so hard in your own strength to do the right thing. Peter's trying hard to be brave and... After deserting Jesus, he, th- he thinks, you know, I, ca- I can't do this. I, I promised Jesus I, I wasn't going to let him down. I promised Jesus I'd go to prison with him. And so he follows Jesus from a distance. And watches to see what happens as Jesus is taken in, taken into Herod, taken into Pilate, scourged, spat upon, mocked. People begin to notice him as he's watching from a distance, and they begin to ask him, were you not associated with Jesus? Well, one of, the, one of his questioners was, in fact, a young girl. Who's afraid of little girls? <laughs> Who's afraid of children? If you're an adult, he's a big fisherman. Is he really scared of this little servant girl? Yeah. You see, this is what happens. You've you got all this great self-confidence, all this ability, all this, I'm wonderful, I'm great, I'm so smart, so brilliant. And it takes us to little servant girl who says, Aren't you the one that hang out with Jesus? Uh, I don't know if she said it just like that. <laughs> and Peter goes crazy and he starts swearing at her. You know what you're talking about, you. Peter's self confidence has been shaken by a little girl. I want to know, I want you to know something right now. When you have fallen short, of what God wants you to do and what God wants you to be. When you've been relying on yourself, it takes very little to shake you up and make you fall apart. And some of you are here today falling apart 
shaken by the smallest things in your life. And you just cannot figure out why you're so, so shaken. Why are you so distressed? I'll tell you why. It's because you've been going forward in your own wisdom, your own strength, your own power, and you need the power of God at work in your life. This little girl is able to throw this great fisherman into a tizzy. He denies Jesus once, twice, and then a third time. And then the rooster crows. In that moment, in that moment when that rooster crows, Peter realized that rather than standing firm from Christ, he had in fact run away from Christ and denied him. He had failed. Now, could anybody here today relate to Peter? Has anybody here today failed? Is it just me with my hand up? <laughs> it's just a few. It's a few. Well, I've failed a little bit. Me. Just to be sure my wife doesn't see me. <laughs> Has anybody failed here today? Anybody been trying to function in your own power, your own wisdom, your own strength? Of course you have. We all have. We know what that's all about. There's some here today that have fallen away from Christ. They've fallen away from the ideal. You started out so well. You were so self-confident. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to tell everybody Jesus. I'm going to go to the mission field. I'm going to give them. And it just hasn't been working out. Because you've been trying to do it all in your own strength. You believed that somehow you were God's gift to the church. You're God's gift to this world. You believed somehow you were God's gift to your boss at work. You, be, you believe God, God's gift to the pastor. Without me, this whole church will fall apart. You believe that you were the most wonderful father, most wonderful mother, the most wonderful. You believe you were, and you have just fallen apart. And things haven't gone right. And your kids aren't walking with God the way you thought they would. I've got to remind everybody here today. i to remind you of something. You are not God's gift to the world. Jesus is. Jesus is God's gift to this world. And Jesus is God's gift to you. Because Jesus came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. What you need in your life is not more of you. What you need is more of God. You need more of Jesus. You believe that you were awesome, but you've been humiliated because of your pride. Now, please understand something today. God does not go, <laughs> so glad they finally learned their lesson. <laughs> they deserve that. God's not sitting up there in heaven saying, man, it's about time that guy learned his lesson. God takes no pleasure in your failing. God takes no pleasure in your pain. Understand that. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And listen to me, my friends. This is exactly what God wants you to learn. He allows you to fall flat in your face. He allows you to mess up, to screw up. Why? Because he wants you to learn to trust him. He wants you to learn to rely on his grace. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> the most important thing you are ever, ever going to learn in this church, I'm going to tell you right now. Are you ready for this? This is the most important thing I'm ever going to say to you, the most important thing you are ever going to learn. 
And it's this. You walk before God in humility, asking for his grace, and you will have all of heaven behind you. You will have all of heaven supporting you in whatever it is that you are doing right now. You want to be a great parent? And start walking in humility and watch what God will do in your family. You want to be a great husband, a great wife? Oh, I can give you seminars on the subject, but I'll tell you, I can shorten it up for you and make it real cheap. It won't cost you a cent. Start walking in humility before your husband, before your wife, before your kids, and watch what God will do in your marriage. You want to be a great employee? You want to be a success in business? Start walking in humility and relying on the grace of God and watch your business soar. Watch your career take off. You become the greatest parents in this church if you learn what it means to walk in humility and find the grace of God. Has anybody ever heard that expression? There, but by the grace of God, go I. Peter's journey towards grace begins with self-confidence. I can do it myself. I'm brilliant. And then it moves on to the fall. Oh, my God, what have I done? I'm so glad I didn't stop there. Because the next step, my friends, in the journey towards grace is what I'm calling the restoration. Skip ahead to John chapter 21. Jesus has risen from the dead. And he now meets up with the apostle Peter and the rest of the disciples. Now, can you, listen, listen, listen. Can you imagine how Peter's feeling? Jesus is in the room with all the disciples, and Peter's like this. Jesus says, Peter, come on out. Come on out. I've got to talk to you, buddy. Peter, do you love me? Peter breaks down crying. Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus says once again, Peter, do you love me? The Bible says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. What's Jesus doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's applying his amazing grace. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus undid it all. By asking Peter three times, do you love me? Three times, Peter denied Christ. And three times, Peter asked, or Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And look, at, look what Jesus says after Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. He didn't say, Peter, you idiot. <laughs> you numbskull. You arrogant, conceited thing. Who do you think you are? 
There's no condemnation, my friends. There's no judgment. There's no hammer to the head. There's, there's none of that. Jesus says simply this, Peter, now go do what I called you to do. Go and feed my sheep. That brilliant. Peter thought that he could do the work of God in his own strength. Now he's discovered that the only way he's going to be able to feed the sheep, preach the gospel, do the work of God, was if he had God's grace in his life. Let me just close with this. The next time you feel that God can't use you, God can't forgive you, that you've maybe gone too far, you've, you've fallen too far, let me just remind you that Noah, man used by God to save humanity, was a drunk. Are you drunk today? God can still use you. He can still restore you. Abraham lied about his wife so that he wouldn't be put to death. He let another man take his wife to be his wife. Wow, Abraham. The great Abraham, the father of the faith. Hmm. Isaac was not a good father. He showed favoritism to the eldest. Jacob was a liar, tricked his father. Leah was ugly. Joseph was conceited, full of himself. Moses was a murderer. Aaron, the great father of the priests of Israel, (laughs) began his illustrious career by leading the people in idolatry. Wow. Rahab, who was in Jesus' lineage, was in fact a prostitute. Don't tell me God can't use you. Gideon, great, the angel came to Gideon, called them great man of God. He was a coward. Don't tell me God can't use you. Samson was a womanizer. David had an affair and was in fact a murderer. Solomon was a polygamist, and yet he wrote portions of the scripture, as did his father David. Elijah, great prophet of God, he felt sorry for himself, and you know what he did? He was suicidal. <laughs> God, I don't want to go on. You felt like that today? You're today, you think, man, I can't face another day. God knows all about it. He calls you to throw, him, throw yourself on his grace. Jonah ran away from God, and you know the story about Jonah, swallowed by a fish. Finally, he says, okay, God, I give up. I'll do what you want me to do. Aren't you glad that God doesn't use fishes anymore for that purpose? Aren't you glad that you eat them and they don't eat you? (laughs) Ruth, a widow, an outsider, a Gentile, she should have had no hope of going anywhere. But she became, again, part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Ruth, the grandmother of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Jeremiah was depressed and cried a lot. Hosea, the prophet, married to an adulterous woman. Martha, well, she just ran around worrying about everything. Maybe that's you today. There's a worry wart. The sky's going to fall, the sky's going to fall. 
There's a Samaritan woman who didn't have one husband, but several. And yet, she put her faith in Jesus. And God used that woman to bring revival to the Samaritan people. And there's the disciples fell asleep while Jesus was praying before he went to the cross. Wow. There was Lazarus. He was dead. God used him. God can use dead Lazarus. Do you think God could use you? There was Paul, killer, murderer of the church, who went around throughout Israel, throughout the world, trying to kill out the church. God turned around and used him powerfully, mightily. And there's good old Peter. I, I like good old Peter. So full of himself. And he finally comes to the place where he's restored. My friends, you need God's grace in your life. And let me, as your pastor, plead with you, don't go another day without it. Get in the habit. Morning, noon, night, when you're driving, when you're dealing with your teenagers that are driving you nuts, who know everything, just like you did at one time, cry out for God's grace, and you will find that God will come to you not judging or condemning you, but loving you and giving you what you need to make it another day. God wants you to do well, my friends. He wants you to be the best that you can be. Wherever you are, whatever you do, he wants you to be the best. And the way that that's going to happen is when you learn to stop leaning on your own understanding, your own strength, your own talents, and you start relying on God's grace. Let's watch this closing video, and then we'll pronounce a benediction. Grace is enough.